0: Welcome welcome, to episode 12 of The Journey is the Reward. Before we get started, I need to apologize and explain the opening music. And, well, give a little credit where credit's due. For the last few shows, I've been playing this wonderful opening music, a welcome song, that I recorded at the Royal Livingston Hotel in Zambia. The song is performed by a fantastic, very talented choir group called the Modalizzo Youth Choir. I'm so sorry that I forgot to give them credit on previous episodes for their performance of the song, and I'm so thankful they gave me permission to use it as the opening to the podcast. So to the Modalizzo Youth Choir, my sincere apologies, and thank you so much for being such a talented group of singers and allowing me to use your music on this podcast. I really appreciate you, your generosity, and your talent. So back to the intro. I'm Brian Coleman, and I'm here with my co-host, my captain on this journey, Micah. I've been a frequent flyer for a large portion of my life, and most of my travels have been on United Airlines. As a result of flying around the world, I've flown over 2 million miles as a member of their Mileage Plus program. With this, I have earned lifetime platinum status. This year, I've set a new goal for myself, and I want to fly 3 million miles, which will earn me 1K status for life. On the show, Micah and I will talk about the passenger experience of my flights, bookings of these adventures, discussions with the interesting people I meet along the way and who knows what all else. The goal is to document the journey as it is the reward, so let's get started. Hi Micah, welcome to a non-united show. Boy, you had
1: a wonderful idea and I think we should actually open every show that way. Good evening. And before we get
0: started, we want to apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I said in either the first or second episode that it's really been a philosophy of mine not to apologize. And I kind of misspoke in that one. And because I think that it is okay to apologize, it's just generally not good to start off apologizing. It's strange definitely here apologizing, but boy, is this one warranted? Because I blew it by never giving credit to the Modalizo Youth Choir. And they were so good and so talented. And boy, that was a big miss on my part. Well, I'm glad you finally gave them the credit because, yeah, they do sound good. And when I heard the opening on the the show,
1: you first put them on. I I texted you and said, that was great. What was that? Anyway, this show, I guess, is going to be a little different because we don't have any travel reports or trip reports to talk about, but we can rave on about all sorts of things.
0: So, so true.
1: Have we heard from anybody? Has has any of those two people that listen to us been writing in?
0: Yes. One of our two listeners did write in, and it's really great because this is a fun part of the show to be able to answer questions or just comment on feedback from our listeners. And One of our listeners commented about episode 11, and they said, you said you could fly to Singapore, Taipei, or Hong Kong for free when you're flying to Japan. How did you do that? How did you do that? It is an interesting phenomenon, and I'm not sure if it still works this way, but when I was flying to Japan so often, more or less, I'm going to round off, a business class ticket to Asia was about $1,800. A business class ticket to Tokyo was $2,500. So what I would do is I would book a ticket to Taipei, Singapore, Hong Kong, and do a stopover in Tokyo. So therefore, I was flying further And saving the company money.
1: That's brilliant. So, what you would do is kind of set it up so that you'd fly directly to Tokyo, take care of your business, but your actual route was to Taipei or to Singapore. That was a ticket that you booked that just happened to have a change of planes with a stopover in Tokyo for a couple of days. So, you got a cheaper ticket and to be able to vacation on a weekend.
0: Yeah. And the company certainly didn't mind because I would do it over the weekend. So, it really didn't affect them. And they were paying less money for my plane ticket. And even when you factor the hotel and hotels were relatively inexpensive where I'd use hotel points for the hotel stay, it really ended up saving the company money. So I was able to see all these places really for free. It's kind of
1: like a hidden city ticket, except with hidden cities, you can't
0: necessarily
1: stop there and then get back on the plane.
0: Right. In this case, it's totally legal. You can do that. And I think the airlines, at least then, were charging more to fly just to Tokyo because it was a business destination. And I think the airlines could charge more simply because the business traveler just wanted to get there and back. They didn't want to go on to another city. So this actually worked out quite well for me. And it's very similar to what United is now doing with their frequent flyer tickets, where the, I think they call it the excursionist fare. For example, if you were to fly from America to Europe, you could do a free city in Europe. So let's say you flew Los Angeles to Frankfurt. You could then fly Frankfurt to Oslo for free and then fly back Oslo to Los Angeles. And that's all considered one ticket. And they don't charge any more miles for having that extra city added in. Wow, that's a real bonus. That sounds like fun. Listener
1: Tony wrote in with a really good question, because airfares have just gone crazy over the past couple of months. I mean, much, much higher than what they were. And not only that, well, we'll get to this, but you may buy your ticket and you may find out you're not going anywhere anyway. But but Tony wrote in and he said, How's the rising cost of airfare affecting your goal in the the break even plan that you had?
0: This is one of the things that I was afraid of when I first started out on this journey. Is what happens if things go crazy and they get really expensive? And that's really what they're doing. And I've seen ticket pricing, let's say an economy ticket to Singapore, go from eight nine hundred dollars to twelve fifteen hundred dollars. And if you have to do that flight 10 or so times, that money really adds up. And that's exactly what I'm going through right now. I mentioned on another show, part of the funding of this was the sale of Apple stock. And I'm really happy that I sold it a few months ago when it was an awful lot higher than what it is now in value. So at least I have that. In this particular case, it's worked down in my favor with the shares that were sold. So I'm kind of happy about that. So yes, it's going to cost me a little bit more. I still think based on the numbers that I was using and rounding things off, I'm still going to be okay. And instead of maybe a two and a half year payback, it'll end up being a full three year payback because it's probably will end up costing me a couple thousand dollars more. And I think it'll work out just fine. Although if it goes up any further, you'll just have to keep flying
1: like this through your 90s. Yeah, that could be. (laughs) So there was something you wanted to bring up about COVID testing on international travel. Was that the great new news?
0: It really is. As we talked about on the last show, there was certainly an issue that I had facing my return trip coming back to California when I was in Frankfurt, where they weren't going to let me on the plane because of a COVID test. And although I had taken the COVID test and I had followed the rules properly, it was still just such a pain in the butt that I had to take this COVID test and have the result showing that I could fly. Well, now the US government has decided to do away with the COVID testing for all passengers coming to the US. We can have a separate conversation over if this is a good thing or not, if we're actually safer as a result of this. But the news is no more COVID testing required, at least not yet, to come back to America. Yeah, the airlines really wanted this uh, COVID testing requirement
1: stopped because it was really difficult for them. And they said that it was keeping the passenger loads down. Now, I have a feeling they may have changed their mind about it now because the passenger loads are so high that they can't fly all the passengers that they have. But that's another
0: story. (laughs) It certainly is. And I think a little bit later on, we have another note from one of our listeners who talked about what it's like in London Heathrow.
1: Well, yeah, you know, and the numbers are so bad. He has worked at Heathrow on and off for a while. And he said that back in 2019, before the pandemic, they had a total of 9,100 ground handling staff. As of a couple of weeks ago, they had 5,200 ground handling staff. That's half the number of people that they had before back in 2019. But the July and August, the airport is expecting to see 107% of the 2019 passenger levels. Now, that means that we have half the staff... <laughs> And 7% more people. So how can they, you know, there's no way for it to work out. And so they have put measures in place to stop passengers from entering the terminals if it ends up reaching fire safety capacities, because that can happen. And it's happening. If you've seen photos online uh, in Heathrow and in Manchester, there are photos of luggage just in halls from wall to wall, just because they didn't make it on planes, because they don't have the luggage handlers. They don't have the ground staff to deal with all the passengers and with all the flights.
0: Yeah, or because flights got canceled, crews are out of place, passengers are out of place, luggages out of place. Yes, I could certainly see where that could become a fire hazard. And although... Passenger traffic is up really only 7% over 2019 levels. If you throw in all the cancellations and all the misplaced people, that number can be significantly larger than 7%. That's what they're worried about with these capacity issues.
1: Yeah. And just recently, uh, another friend of ours took a vacation into uh, to Spain from London Heathrow flying BA first class. His luggage didn't arrive for two days. First class, first class. First class.
0: Yeah, it just shows to go you that the airlines treat all passengers equally.
1: Now, one of the things that we've talked about, and and, and actually I recommend, is that if you have an iPhone, uh, actually, if you have any phone, but particularly an iPhone, to put AirTags in your luggage so you can see whether they're moving with you or not. And that's something that we did when we traveled together. We got a deal on a set of Air Tags and split them up, a package of four. I kept two. You got two. Did you use Air Tags in your last trip?
0: I didn't. It was really nice to see how things worked because I was, of course, concerned when I was in Frankfurt because I checked a bag and I hardly ever check a bag. But this checked bag was originally tagged to go to Sanf- well Johannesburg, Frankfurt, San Francisco, Los Angeles, but it ended up going Johannesburg- Frankfurt, Denver, Los Angeles. And I was actually concerned that it wasn't going to make it. So it was really nice having the app and I could actually track my bag. And it was really neat to see that it was going to be loaded on the plane. And then when I got to Denver to see that it was actually there, that was a really cool, reassuring feeling. I I like that an awful lot.
1: I think it's really handy. And then if your bag does get lost and you go to make your baggage claim, you can pull up your phone as you're making the claim and say, well, right now it shows me that it's here now. This is as of whenever it got last got pinged by the Bluetooth, but uh, but you can let people know exactly where it is. And I think it might make it quicker and easier for your bag to be getting to you.
0: So that was that was kind of fun. Now, it didn't help me with my bag story. If we could go back to my trip from Africa back to America, and I was talking about that I checked a bag. Well, you know, as listeners do know, you know, you and I do have an awful lot of baggage. <laughs> but in this case, it was only one bag. And when I checked my bag in at Johannesburg, they asked me if I had a lithium-ion battery in the bag. And I said, no, because I didn't have a lithium-ion battery. I had nickel-metal hydride battery charger in my bag. And no one said anything. Bag got tagged. Bag showed up at my destination, ultimately, in Los Angeles. And I looked, and I could tell that the bag had been opened. Opened up inside, and there's a note from the German security official saying that they confiscated something out of my bag. And I couldn't tell what it was. And as I pull everything out of my bag and I find that they took the nickel metal hydride battery charger out of my bag because I believe they thought it was a lithium ion battery. So it's kind of upset over that. So it was a, a battery or a battery charger or a combination? It was a combination.
1: And I'm curious, what do you have that is powered by nickel metal hydride batteries?
0: I could charge my phones, my iPad with it. Because it's a charger with the funky port on it, I could actually power my MacBook Pro.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, now I know what you mean. It's, it's, a, it's a battery pack that is also a charger that plugs directly into the wall. Correct. Gotcha. Yes. Anchor makes a bunch of those. And I'm sure there are other companies that do as well. And nickel metal hydride is an interesting way to go with that. I didn't know they did it that way.
0: Well, years ago, this is a very old product, but well, maybe not very old, but it's it's a few years old before lithium ion became affordable. But again, I just feel as though things didn't quite go right because I answered the question honestly, and I'm not sure if the person didn't ask the question properly or they are so young, they are only aware that lithium ion batteries are the only ones that exist. (laughs) I don't know where the communication breakdown was, but all I could say is I am now out a battery charger. Doesn't seem fair at all. Nope. But that's what it
1: is. So one of the other things we have always wanted to talk about on the show is the different levels or classes of service and how they have changed over the years. And basically sort of how the difference in terms of how airlines treat passengers from back then when we first really started flying and you and I started flying in the 70s and the 80s and probably did most of our flying in the uh, in the late 80s and the 90s, mm-hmm. but the levels of service and how they changed from I think what people would say was... uh,
0: Wait, from low class to high class? Well, I think it went the other way around, unfortunately. (laughs) I
1: think it went from high class to low class. You know, there used to be two classes of servant. It was first class and you were sitting up front and there was coach. And granted, first class was great. You know, it was two by two seating and it was wide Barco lounger style seats and it didn't lay flat, but you had lots of room and you had space. And you you talked about having meals carved for you right there in Mm -hmm. the aisle, you know, and served, and and it was really fabulous. And then coach class, yeah, you had some decent seat pitch, you know, maybe thirty four inches, and and yeah, it was three abreast on either side, three by three seating, and there was always going to be a middle person, but you were kind of treated like a human being. And then the airline started changing the levels of class and they didn't make it better. They sort of made it worse. And I think now there are, I don't know, what would you say, six classes of service?
0: Yeah, there are. And I think what we have to do is back up a little bit and talk about domestic travel versus international travel, because certainly with the advent of the wide body aircraft, that changed things a little bit. So you had the, let's start at just the jet error, right where you had the 707 and certainly you had two classes of service in that, the first and economy. When airlines introduced, let's say the 737, again for domestic flights, there was first class and coach class 757 was there with two classes of service. Things really sort of got crazy with the introduction of the 747 international wide-body aircraft, the 767, the 777, now the 787. So these international aircraft have more cabins, more classes of service than what domestic aircraft do.
1: Well, what's interesting about that, when you mention the 747, what immediately comes to mind is what they did with that is they turned it into a higher level of service. Remember, there was a yes. spiral staircase that went upstairs and a piano bar. Boeing had a, uh, the, the Cruiser that had a downstairs lounge. But, but the Cruiser in, in, in the 1950s, there was a lounge that you would go downstairs in the Boeing 747. The upper deck was exclusive and it was a lounge. And, and you were invited if you were in first class to walk up that spiral staircase. And quality of service again increased. But then when we started to get, you know, I guess the 7.6 was really the next one in terms of a wide body. Because all the other narrow body classes of service, even international, was the same thing. There was first and there was coach. Same style seats, whether you were going internationally or whether you were going domestically. But when they started with long haul international service, that's when they started with a new business class.
0: Yeah, and I think economics really drove that an awful lot. Because a lot of businesses wouldn't pay the price for first class. So there was a need for this in-between product. And I think the airlines, when they first introduced business class, did a really good compromise in creating this third class of service, something between coach and first class.
1: Yeah, it was a step down, but not a tremendous step down. The seats were a little narrower. Uh, the Service wasn't quite as good as first, but it was still pretty good. But then what did the airlines do?
0: Well, economics, again, I think drove this. And yeah, they, um, they started fooling around with the various classes of service, both domestically and internationally.
1: And business class became so popular that I, what the airlines started to do was eliminate first class. And most of that is gone. While there are still some airlines that still have a first class, including United, but only in their older fleet. First class is disappearing and business class is the upper level of service, which really As we discovered, well, as I discovered when I was flying with you in Polaris class, it was nice. It was certainly better than being a coach, but it wasn't the same first class experience, even though I had a live flat seat, that I used to get when I was flying first class on domestic routes back in the the 80s and 90s.
0: And something just to add a little bit more confusion to the story is the advent of premium economy. And I think this is also really driven by economics, where companies either would not pay for business class or leisure travelers wanted a little bit better experience. So something now exists between business class and regular economy, and that's called premium economy. You have a a higher seat pitch again, I'd say 38, 42 inches. There's a footrest in the seat, kind of like the old business class seats have. You have different food options, different beverage options. So it's a little nicer experience than what you get in economy.
1: And what the airlines found after that is that really, while there are some travelers that want to be able to pay to have a slightly better class of service, most travelers are cheap. And they found they <laughs> wanted to compete with the ultra low cost carriers. So there's no longer coach. There's several different economy prices because economy sounds better. Oh, look, I'm saving money. And there became not just a premium economy. It's right in the coach class, but you might have a little more seat pitch. It's called economy plus. So there's economy plus where you're paying to get the exit row seat, which used to be just, yeah, hey, I got lucky. I got the exit row seat. Nope, not anymore. That's now economy plus. Economics, they're selling it. What's interesting about that is that the exit row seat, well, yeah, you have a little more seat pitch. Typically, you're a lot colder because the exit row is colder. You got a little bit of of coldness from that uh, emergency exit. And the seats are usually a little thinner and they're not quite as comfortable. So there are pluses and there are minuses to it. But it's economy plus. Exactly. And then there's what the airlines call basic economy, but what I call economy minus. Because it really is. It's the tiniest seats with the least seat pitch in the middle and usually as far back in the plane as you can possibly get.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the nice things about the Economy Plus section. It's more towards the door that you're going to board from.
1: And again, it's the airlines trying to compete, or I would say even try to put out of business, the ULCCs, the ultra low cost carriers. They're trying to compete with them because as people have found, if you can find a ticket that's a dollar less than the other ticket, That's what people are going to buy. They're going to save a dollar. And you know what really brought this on? The amazing thing, the reason that there is an economy minus, I truly believe, is the airfare congregators, the ticket congregators. It was kayak. It was Expedia. That people were shopping by price, not knowing what they were getting. And that's how people were booking tickets. And all of a sudden, the majors weren't getting as many air, uh, as many passengers as the others because people were looking for the $5 cheaper
0: ticket. There you know, or $1 less ticket. Yeah, I think one of the other problems with booking a basic economy ticket is many airlines, you're not allowed to choose your seat ahead of time. They'll reserve either the last two or three rows of the aircraft and or the middle seat. So if you're traveling as a family, there's no guarantee that you're actually going to sit together. I think part of what was driving the creation of basic economy was, especially here in the U.S., how we tax airfare. And add-ons, such as seat assignment or bag fares, are taxed differently than the airfare rate itself, the price that you're actually paying for the ticket. And because they could carve out these extra charges, the airlines are charged differently, it's a better economic advantage to them of having these carve-outs, therefore basic economy came into existence.
1: Yes, it did. And with that, as with the entire economic situation, as we have found out, passengers are no longer guests. They are cattle and just an inconvenience of trying to get people on and off the airplane before they go to their next destination.
0: So is that why the flight attendants say to me, move out of the aisle?
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there was something else we wanted to talk about. You know, if people don't know this, I guess we probably better reveal it. We're cheap. I like to say we're frugal. We're
0: not cheap. We're frugal.
1: That's true. We're very, very frugal. We're always looking for a way to maximize uh, our dollars. And I think that's what frugal is. That's not really cheap. Uh, Click and Clack, the the Tappet brothers who uh, used to do the NPR show about cars would say it's the cheap man that spends the most because he would buy the worst part for his car and have to replace it three times. Exactly, Frugal is trying to find the best deal, the most economical, best bargain, the, the best product you can get for the money. You're looking for value when you're being frugal. And you are particularly frugal, and I'm particularly frugal, about credit cards and you found a way to really maximize the value of a particular card, which I think is wonderful. I, I, I You need to tell our, our listeners about this.
0: I have a Hilton American Express card. It's the Aspire card, and it's a premium card. So it has an annual fee of $450, which a people- Wait lot of a minute. People, You're paying $450 for a credit card? And here I am saying that I'm frugal. Exactly. Because there's actually value in it. And one of the areas of value is you get to designate an airline and all of these ancillary fees can be offset. You get a credit of $300 that will offset the $450 fee. So therefore, my $450 card is only costing me $150 with the use of this benefit.
1: Well, that's not so bad, but how do you offset the $150?
0: Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about the $300 airline credit. So with the $300, you can designate an airline and any of these ancillary fees go against that $300 credit. So it could be having a pre-assigned seat charge, food or beverages on board, a check bag fee. They all get counted towards this $300 credit. One of the other things you could do is if you go to the airport lounge and buy a day pass, that can also go against the credit. So we are flying to Philadelphia for my nephew's wedding. I need two Admiral Club day passes. Therefore, that will be $120 of this $300 credit. So I'll be able to take advantage of that credit on the flight to Pennsylvania. On the way back, my mother's actually traveling on American, but on a different flight because she, of course, lives in Florida and I'm out here in California. And I will go ahead and buy the day pass for her as well. Oh, well, that's great. So I thought that was a really good use of the $300 travel credit. It really
1: is. And frankly, I'm really relieved you're using it that way, because otherwise you might have had to drink $300 worth of drinks on your way across country.
0: Yeah. And uh, that would not be fun. Well, it, it, it might be fun, but the end result might. Yeah, that could be tragic.
1: Could have been a real mess. And so you said you had a way to also offset the other $150?
0: Well, yes and no. There's value that comes along with this card. So for example, one of the benefits is I get diamond status, which is the highest level of hotel guest state, whatever they call the frequent guest program.
1: Oh, so yeah. So with Hilton and Hilton is a large chain for those that don't know, that's Hampton Inn and Embassy Suites and so many others. Uh, Doubletree mm-hmm. that you get early check-in, late checkout, uh, the, the the high-end floor rooms, all, all those good things. So yeah.
0: The free breakfast, if there's a club level, you have access to that, although most of the hotels have done away with the club level. But still, just having the breakfast in the morning or a food and beverage credit where most of the properties have changed to that, having upgrades when, when upgrades are available is really nice. When we went to Africa, staying at the Hilton at LAX, there was a two-room suite that I was upgraded to. So that was just a really nice bonus to have. And there are a bunch of other bonuses. You earn more points at the diamond level versus the gold level. I don't have the list in front of me, but there's a bunch of other stuff that offset that $150. And I think because I stay so many nights at a hotel, the free food and beverage credit or the free breakfast make up for that $150. Oh, absolutely. And I do a similar thing
1: with the the IHG rewards card. I think you do mm-hmm. that too. I Not do. quite as expensive. It, I think I'm paying $89 a year for it. It's only card I will pay for. But for that $89 a year, I get one free night a year. That makes up for the $89 right away. And I've always used that up. It's been fabulous.
0: And also with IHG, you get platinum status, you get the room upgrades when available, you'll get the free breakfast as well. They just recently have revamped their frequent guest program. And I think they've done a mostly a fairly good job. I was kind of upset to see that we're no longer at the highest level, but I still, I think it gives pretty good value, especially for an $89 credit card.
1: Absolutely. I think it's a very good deal. And I think that's what our listeners need to know look for deals like that. They're available. Keep your eyes open. And if you have a decent credit rating, you might be able to just get through and, and find some good bargains. It'll help you out with your airlines or your hotel stays.
0: And be frugal, not cheap. Absolutely. <laughs> There's, there is a difference. So I guess, Micah, with this, we're rapidly coming to an end. This is going to be a short show, but we wanted to put something out and keep all the listeners engaged. And I think it was just fun to get caught up since I'm kind of taking the summer off.
1: Well, yeah, except you are going to be flying with Americans soon to the East Coast. When are you going? And don't you have to get dressed up for that?
0: Because I'm flying on American, I have to get dressed up? No, yes, I'm attending a wedding. My nephew is is getting married and they're having the reception in Philadelphia. So I'm flying in on Thursday, the reception's on Friday, and then I'm flying back out again. Uh, Hopefully, that's the plan anyway. So it all depends on how American decides to uh, staff their flights and see if I actually get there. And is that this week? It is. Although this week is all relative because people don't always listen to the podcast on the week that we release it. Well, we are recording on the
1: longest day of the year. It's June 21st, and up here in Maine, it's going to get dark really late, like maybe 8.30.
0: Oh, Micah, come on. Every day has the same number of hours. This is not the longest day of the year. This just has the most amount of sunshine than any other day. You're right, and it only <laughs> feels long because I'm recording a show with you. There
1: you go. Perfect. <laughs> So if people for some reason are crazy enough that they want to support us, how would they do that?
0: The best thing to do is for them to go to thejourneyisthereward.org. Click on the Donate tab, and we've set up a Patreon account where there are multiple levels people can contribute through Patreon. Also, if someone has a package, a person, a pet that needs to be transported somewhere, I am offering personal courier services. I'm quite happy to either take or collect your item of value and bring it back with me on one of these trips that I'm doing. Although all people that you take along must be kenneled, isn't that correct? (laughs) No, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to escort someone's grandmother or grandfather, whatever. Not a problem. They don't have to be kenneled. Well, that's great.
1: So let's go over one more time in case people weren't paying attention, because there is going to be a test on this. Where were we with the numbers? What's your current status? Where did you start? Where are you now? And how many miles do we have to go?
0: Well, since last recording, unfortunately, I wasn't able to fly anywhere, so I still am at... miles, which means I have 246,381 miles to go.
1: Well, from here in eastern Maine, in the city of Portland, this is your Maine man,
0: Micah, signing out. And this is your global traveler, Brian. Remember, fly safely. Now, you're going to laugh at me over this, but you're actually sounding kind of hot. Okay. Well, I am hot. Yeah, but. Your gain seems like it might be turned up way too high. That should be, is that better? (laughs) Yes, it is actually. So, how are you? What's going on?
1: I'm doing okay. Yeah, I had a uh, really nice weekend. Uh, I attended the, uh, the christening of the uh, USS John Basilone up at Bath Ironworks, the latest uh, Navy Aegis-class destroyer, our Arleigh Burke-class destroyer, and that was really, really moving. Like, I got uh, really special VIP tickets because my friend is such a high mucky-muck with Bath Ironworks that uh, nice. you know, I'm rubbing elbows with Senator Collins and the governor and all that other stuff, but it was really fun. But I, I did have a funny thing, and I felt like I was would, would have said exactly what you have said. I was uh, online for the reception or in the reception, and woman comes up behind me, and I am sure that it is the uh, the, the the woman who is the uh, sponsor of the ship. So she's up behind me, and she looks just like her, and I, and I, and she's wearing the same white clothing and everything. and And I said, "Your speech was really magnificent. You did a wonderful job." She said, "Oh, uh, yeah, I, I get that all the time. That was my sister." I said, "Oh." I said, it's funny because the other thing I was going to say is you really look much prettier up close than you did on stage.
0: Well done. (laughs) So
1: that was pretty funny.
0: Um, Did I mess up the show plans? I don't think so. What should we call this? Um, Filler. (laughs) Um,
1: Catching up on crap. I don't know if we're going to call it a title. Yeah, I guess so.
0: Yeah. I kind of liked filler. I don't know. I'll have to, if we think of something, we'll come up with something. All right. Anything else neat, fun, exciting, interesting? Not really.
1: Um, I did, I wrote a, wrote a piece for Johnny jet about the the Radisson uh, merger with choice. He asked uh-huh. me to write it. And, uh, and I put in a lot of my opinion about choice hotels and Wyndham hotels. And, uh, and he said, I'm going to post it on Saturday. And then I saw it was it Saturday or Sunday. So it wasn't posted on Saturday. So it wasn't posted on Sunday. And then yesterday, uh, I texted him and I said, uh, you know, you didn't post it. And he he responds. He said, uh, hi, Micah. Yes, we were going to post it on Saturday. But my editor, in parentheses, wife, said, I need to really look at it since it's a little aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we also stayed at the Wyndham Grand in the Clearwater, and it was fantastic—a solid four, four star. I thought it would be more of a news piece. I do like the opinion, but I don't hold the same. Uh, we'll read it later tonight when I
0: find some time. And uh, I don't know, every Wyndham I've stayed at, every Wyndham that my mother stayed at, they've all pretty much been crap. Absolutely, so I, they're just yeah. I I guess we're staying at the wrong places. Yeah, Wyndham and, and I and I said that in the piece. And same similar choices. Yeah, well.
1: I said you know that uh, you know it can vary by individual. Tell and this has been my experience, and I think I said your mileage may vary, you know <laughs> but... exactly.
0: And I have no idea how to pronounce the youth choir name, Medalizzo. that's, a, that's, a, that's just has to sound Italian. Medalizzo, okay, that's it. I'll do my best. I thought I
1: silenced it. I'm really sorry. And while there are some airlines, including United, and I'm sorry about that. And, uh, and I, it's funny, you don't look fruish, but nonetheless...